Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Favorite time of year. It's football season. That total leather. Total leather. Dunlap Champions Club is in play. Literally seven home games on the schedule, and they've got some great packages available. You may be aware, if you've not been in the Dunlap Champions Club yet, try a three-game ticket package. You can get Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Florida, and then two of the four remaining home games on the schedule. But I go back to your most important point. If you've not ever been Toe meets there. leather? Oh, no, that was your point. If you've not ever been there, take a tour. Go look at it. Go visit it. If you go, you'll want to be there. Comes with shade, air conditioning. That comes in play during uh, during the hot games. Although, I'm going to be honest. There's going to be so much excitement with the Taggart era. You may not want to go inside because you're going to miss about 28 plays if you walk inside for but five But you'll minutes. be sitting in a chair that's got a back and an armrest and a cup holder. Dunlap Champions Club. Uh, of course, all your food and non-alcoholic beverages are, are baked into the price. Uh, it's good food. It's a great experience. It's a great time. Get on board. The number to call is 644-1830. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. We are back and as mediocre as ever, Tom and Keith with you. I've used that line a few times before, but it continues to be accurate, so I will use it in the future. Keith, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I I am changing. I am changing my outlook and philosophy. It's been noticeable over the last three or four months. That that glass has all of a sudden gone from half full instead of half empty without nary another drop in it. Now, to be fair, it got a little too full. About July well, and August, and leading into the the month we're in here now. But I'm going to remain hopeful, optimistic, and I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to going someplace that doesn't have the heat and humidity that we've enjoyed for the last three months. And I realize Syracuse, New York, is not the grandest place to go, and not on a bucket list for anybody. But it will be different. There is not air conditioning in the Carrier Dome, which is a point we bring up every year. So Don't I'm, tell anybody. I'm telling our listeners right now because when we get Tim Linnefeld on the horn and we do rapid fire, it's going to be a simple yes-no question. Will the air conditioning be on in the Carrier Dome this week? And we'll see if Tim is as astute as I think he is or if he just misses completely. And on for that. those of our audience that might be just a little bit slow, just remind you that it's called the Carrier Dome. And the carrier is an air conditioning company, and they built the carrier dome without air conditioning. That just is hilarious to me. Plus, it's a vapor well, – I call it a vapor lock. You, you remember that? Mm-hmm. You, you have to go through two sets of doors because the roof is literally held up by air pressure. So you open the outside doors. You walk in. You have to close those. Then they open an interior set of doors so all the air doesn't leave and the roof doesn't fall down. It's like the O'Connell Center Center used to be in Gainesville. Exactly right. I forgot about that. Okay. All that said, and this is not front row orange. This is front row Knowles. But Syracuse is in the middle of a $100 million-plus renovation of the Carrier Dome. And so they are adding air conditioning. And a permanent roof, so you'll only have to open one door to get in, and that's, I don't know, by 2022 or something like that. This is going to be a weekend where I don't think we're going to catch our breath, Keith. Syracuse goes faster than, well, Florida State is not running at the tempo they want to yet, but when Florida State is up to Willie Taggart's speed, Syracuse still tries to go faster per Dino Baber's speed, if you will. So as things get humming, there's going to be a lot of plays, and I, I... Maybe my glass is half full, but I think this is the week, the, the week that we see more productivity out of the offense. And part of that is because Syracuse has been pretty dreadful on defense. Part of it is because I think it's a full week and, and they're getting closer. They are getting closer. Uh, I think it is helpful that they go up against a Syracuse defense that has given up, I believe, 6.6 yards per play. So Syracuse is averaging 53, 54, 55 points a ball game, uh, but they're giving up. 30-something, I believe. Don't quote me on the numbers, but you get the relationship. They're going to score some points. So if Florida State wants to win, Florida State is going to have to score some points as well. And, of course, our fan base got an opportunity to see uh, Dino's offense in Tallahassee last year when they performed rather well. And I think it came down to a missed field goal or a kick of some type uh, when Florida State candidly was fortunate to come out with a victory. Especially because Eric Dungy was hurt last year. Correct. It's been a couple of years, and he's a good quarterback. Very good. I don't know that he's as accurate as what we saw last week. That guy was good for Samford. 
in terms of his his placement and his feel for the pocket. He could adjust a step here or there, and he trusted his receivers. He would throw to a spot and trust they were there, and doggone it, they were. The biggest thing that impressed me was your first point, his ability to move in the pocket and to adjust. Uh, I think Florida State ended up with, with – was there one sack or no sacks? Might have been was, no sacks. was no sacks. And, but he threw the ball 59, 60, 61 times, whatever it was. Uh, that's very impressive and obviously uh, very accurate and, and uh, work to do for Florida State secondary. Now, I don't believe Dungy is that good of a passer, but he is every bit of a, of a, of a runner uh, and, and is a true dual threat. So Florida State's going to have to be very disciplined on defense. We don't have any – sponsorship for crazy predictions or anything like that but i'm going to go ahead and predict that cam Akers is going to have a huge week this week he had one last year against syracuse i hadn't even processed that but my rationale was thinking back about our trips to the carrier dome and before syracuse was even in the acc i remember being up there and leon washington went nuts and run it on it won it on a couple of long runs and then last time we were there dalvin cook had four touchdowns and set the all-time rushing record. There's just been, I don't know if it's the turf, I don't know if it's Syracuse's defense, whatever it is, Florida State running backs have had big games there. Cam last year, big game against Syracuse. I don't. Nobody, to my knowledge, has asked this question. My observation from the sideline has been that Cam has not been 100% healthy. And I'm not suggesting there's some huge, nagging, big issue. I just think he's had an ankle tweak or something and has not trusted that ankle. It was noticeable. He limped a few times in the Virginia Tech game. I think once or twice last week. And it's not a pronounced limp, but it's you can watch him come off and it's not 100% right. He reminds me of the In first, my opinion. He reminds me of the first two or three ball games of Dalvin's last year. Remember, Dalvin had that shoulder that nobody would talk about, nobody would say anything. He was just he was uncomfortable. Wasn't hurt. Wasn't, obviously wasn't injured. Didn't trust it. Just didn't trust it. And I think uh, there's a nagging something. And when you get to that elite level of running back, uh, elite level of pitching, elite level of a hitter in baseball, you know, that the little thing that doesn't bother the normal average athlete does bother the elite athlete. And I, I agree with you. You've pointed it out. Two consecutive games in a row. This doesn't happen often. Two consecutive games in a row, he's had both ankles retaped during the game. That, that just doesn't happen often. There are yards there for the taking, and this has been a talking point related to the quarterback, DeAndre, still learning when to hold the ball, when to give on this read option. So let's talk about that. Because one of the plays last week where he, he threw the, the bubble, if you will, and it lost yardage, there was an awful lot of yards there for the taking if he hands it to Cam. I want to ask you, it wasn't the read option, but you ran the option when you were a high school quarterback. So you had to process a decision on the fly, which is what we're – you know, if you think about a quarterback throwing – He's got to make a decision. Is it this guy or that guy? And and if you're a really good quarterback, you're you're not just looking at one side of the field. You're processing three or four receivers. This, in theory, is is you know you're looking at the defensive end and making a read. But but walk through why that might take some time. Well, two reasons. Number I mean, one, let's go back. Let's go back to Jimbo's offense and and look at a Jameis Winston. There were unbelievable number of reads after the snap in Jimbo's passing attack. Those reads had to be made by the quarterback and the receiver in tandem. But you had a little bit of time. That read took a second, second half, maybe two seconds to see it evolve and develop. You've got about a half a second to a second to make a decision in the running game. Uh, I ran the veer in high school, and our listeners get tired of going back, you know, 50 years ago, however long it was. But you've got to make that decision real quickly. And you've got to make sure that mesh point works because you can't afford to put that ball on the ground. So you're making a quick decision with an additional physical move that has to be orchestrated with someone else. Now, that's when there's two options. Well, in the RPO, there's technically three. You give it, you keep it, or you throw it. Well, now one times one is one, but one times three is three. Now you're three times more complicated in what you have to do. Now let's go back. Look at his touchdown run. He made the right decision on the touchdown run, 12 yards untouched. That play is there if you can make that read. And then the other complicating thing is, you know, as a quarterback in high school, I was a running quarterback. I didn't throw the ball well at all. That's by evidence that I moved to defense when I got to, to Florida State. So I was inclined to keep the ball and run with it. Well, DeAndre is a passer. He's inclined to hand the ball off or to throw it. 
not to keep it. And that, that just takes some time to get ingrained in. It seems simplistic, but there's a lot more that goes on than meets the naked eye. I remember watching Marcus Mariota run it, and I know as much as FSU fans don't want to get into the Mariota thing, we have to acknowledge he was a pretty doggone good quarterback when he was at Oregon. And you think about the quarterback running and how he might be more susceptible to hits. But any hits you take as a run, not any, but most you take as a runner, you're braced for because you know you're going to get hit compared to getting a helmet in the back or a shoulder pad in the back if we're not targeting when you're in the pocket. But beyond that, Mariota would run it and he would just slide after seven yards. He wouldn't even do, you know, I'm just going to take the seven yards on first down. I'm not going to try to get 12. And, I, and I'd slide and now it's second and three. And he would do that time and again. And so if you just, so, I mean, DeAndre doesn't, if, if the safety is eight yards from the line of scrimmage in his first down, you don't have to run him over or try and make a miss. Just slide down and get to second and two. And I'll tell you, as a, as a former defensive player, there is nothing more annoying and aggravating than not getting a shot on a running back. In this case, a quarterback acting right. like a running back. Right. When they slide and you don't get to do anything, <laughs> it's, it's annoying beyond belief, Tommy. Beyond belief. We've got a good show coming up today, which is no – you know that. I mean, you're listening. You're tuned in. You're listening. You're tuned in. It's, it's not front row orange. It's front row Knowles. Uh, we're going to talk to somebody that knows Willie Taggart pretty well because he worked with him hosting his coach's show and as the play-by-play voice at the University of South Florida during Coach Taggart's time at USF, and that is Jim Lauk, who's an associate AD with USF, to try and get some perspective on what exactly the Gulf Coast offense is. To, how cal- much- to calm us down is what we're trying to do. Exactly. that. Too. Well, I don't know if it's just us. I feel like we're pretty reasonable, rational, calm. Them. Calm we, them down. We get sedated before we do the show, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, but he'll he'll lend some perspective on it. We'll also talk to Tim Linnefelt because we've done a whole segment here, Keith. And you know what we didn't talk about? The offensive line. So we're going to let Tim address those issues when our Seminoles.com insider joins us momentarily. I will point out, though, and I'll tell you about the fine print in a minute. But uh, Madison Social is having September. So if you walk there to lunch and then you go ahead and show your steps via your phone or your app or your fitness trapper, uh, Trapper, tracker, you get 20% off your bill. Pretty good deal, right? How, how long will it take you to pay for an iWatch doing it that way? Well, here's the thing. I don't know if there's fine print. How are they going to know if I drive there and park in the free parking in the parking garage and then take, you know, 84 steps to get there and show them the tracker? Do I still get 20%? Do they really know? Maybe I take big steps. You're adding nothing here. I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Well, somebody test that. Let us know how it works out. Also, coming up at Township, the second annual Tallahassee Oktoberfest. Unlimited beer sampling for 35 bucks. That's on September 29th. Will the roof be open or closed? Yes. Uh, find out more at TallahasseeOctoberfest.com. Our Seminoles.com insider will answer all the pressing questions about the offensive line and everything else at Florida State when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Well, we had to put that in the rotation last week coming off the Virginia Tech loss, and now we can't change it. And I'll be okay with that if we listen to that another 10 or 11 times uh, this, As long as they're season. all whims, we're good. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld is on the horn. He joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. Keith and I took on all the easy stuff in the first segment, and uh, we saved the offensive line just for you. So <laughs> uh, make us feel better. What do we got? What do we got? Is, that, is it an open-ended question? It's it. Yes, I'm, I'm trying to be as... as it's uh, open-ended, closed-ended, and hopeful. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think the fifth, yeah, the optimistic take would be that, uh, you know, by the end of the game and, and by, I think, at the end of six different combinations uh, for one reason or another, I thought they actually looked pretty good and, and say what you want. But uh, on that last drive uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, they had to go down the field uh, and score a touchdown to win the game, and they were able to do that. And, you know, the, they blocked pretty well. To, there wasn't a, any pressure or sacks or anything like that. And, and so, you know, maybe you have uh, the makings of something you can build on. How's that? That was good, and I'll give you a chance to add to it because any time a play doesn't work, 
save for an open receiver who drops a pass. If the play doesn't work, we all say offensive line, even if the quarterback didn't make the great read or the receivers didn't block or somebody else did something wrong. So how much of the offensive line issues are related to technique and or not getting a hat on the right guy as compared to getting whipped by the defensive lineman across the line of scrimmage? Well, all I can tell you is uh, is what Willie Taggart said, and I, I would defer to him because he understands that a whole lot more than I do and understands what they're asking. Uh, and he seems to to believe that it's that's that's the, the the heart of it is that they're not just getting out there getting whipped and getting beat physically, which I know has been suggested, uh, you know, around. Uh, but he thinks it's more of a in terms of of technique and understanding and and and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I know we all kind of you know we, you hear the word correctable when a coach says it, and it kind of conjures up things that you know painful images. Uh, but the truth is, you know, you can correct technique and you can create, you know, in correct scheme and all that kind of stuff or fix it or adjust it. Um, it it's hard to correct uh, getting beat physically. Uh, so, you know, to me, that would be the pref- most preferential of the two uh, if, if you had to. Um, and, and that's basically, I think, you know, what they feel is that uh, giving these guys, one, keeping everybody healthy for any length of time, which has been an issue so far. Uh, and two, you know, getting a, a starting five or, or a group of five that you feel comfortable with and keeping them together for a while. I know we've, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of hit that theme before, um, but letting them kind of get some continuity and some synergy together and staying healthy. Um, you know, maybe you can, you can rise above and, and, and get to a better level, uh, than what you've had the last few games. And again, I think, you know, if anything, um, the last time you saw it, uh, at the end of that game was probably as good as it's looked. So, uh, if you want to be encouraged, that's, 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 that's kind of what I think. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason, at least for optimism, to build on and, and kind of keep moving forward with. Tim, fix, uh, speaking of uh, physical, uh, is anybody getting better? or Are they worse, or are they about the same? In terms of health. health. Uh, well, we'll see. Um, you know, I still doesn't sound like Landon Dixon's going to be back anytime uh, soon. He hasn't been out of practice. Um, Cole Minshew, I think, is the other important one. And, you know, you saw um, the other day, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of kind of borderline, I guess, with him, and he you know he tries to give it a go when he can, and and they you know, they get the most out of him uh, as they can. I don't know. Um, I mean, that's again, kind of probably the way it's going to be is is you do the best you can with it, and and uh, and hope that he he can give you what he can give you. Um, I don't know. You know, with, with him, it seems like kind of a thing where you know it's going to be some some stuff, especially like with the those feet and the ankles and lower body type stuff. You just kind of have to kind of have to deal with it. Everybody was surprised when Taggart said that Kalen LeBorn would be back uh, at some point this year. Do we have any idea when that might be, or is this potentially, you know, the new redshirt rule in effect? He's played two games. If he's back, he could play against Florida and in a bowl game, or any thoughts on that? I think that's what you leave it up, up to. Uh, you know, that type of injury, um, the, the dislocated kneecap, from what I've been able to gather, and I don't know a ton, but, you know, there, there are different degrees to it, uh, different degrees of severity. Uh, some can be, you know, really, really bad. Uh, like uh, Teddy Bridgewater uh, had a dislocated kneecap, and you know what, what that meant for him. Um, but then in other cases, you know, it might not be that bad. You know, a couple months. Um, you know, Willie Tiger said he, you know, he could come back, but he also said that it would be some weeks before he did. And, and I kind of took that to mean, you know, it's it's still significant enough that I, you know, I wouldn't expect him back anytime soon. Uh, but you know, you leave open ended that yeah, by the end of the season, uh, and particularly if you need somebody. Uh, potentially he could be available if everything breaks the right way. Tim, we've spent a lot of time focused on the offense because of the inability to score points. Defensively, I think we're in agreement that uh, uh, Coach Barnett's group has played well enough to win, but there have been some deficiencies there. Let's start, first of all, with with one-on-one coverage with the defensive backs. What are you hearing in terms of changes, technique, uh, focus? What what are they saying about ways to correct that? Well, I think the big thing – in that game and the issue was, was really kind of what Sanford was doing. Harlan Barnett talked about that this morning. Uh, and he said they were basically just lining up and slinging it around. And so the adjustment that they made in the second half uh, was to basically play their, their third down defense, bring out their nickel, nickel package and what they call their Delta package uh, and, and play it that way. And you notice they were able to have success with it. I mean, Sanford for, for all their offensive production and points, uh, they didn't do nearly as much in the second half as they did in the first, which to me is a, you know, positive sign. You'd rather that first half not have happened, but I thought the, the second half adjustment, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense, and, and you saw positive results. I don't know, uh, you know, look, I'm not saying that, that the defense doesn't need to start better, uh, and they acknowledged as much this morning, but I don't know 
if I would take what happened against Sanford in a pretty unique situation against a, a quarterback who is I think better than your typical FCS quarterback. I don't know that that necessarily is a referendum uh, on the defense moving forward, you know? Well, except you're facing a better quarterback in Dungy uh, on Saturday, and, and obviously we won't know how that turns out until the game is over, but, um, you know, that that's a fair comment, but we, we're going to face better quarterbacks as you get further along into the year. No, I agree with you, but, uh, you know, I think what they do offensively might be a little bit different too, though, you know? Fair enough. Let's talk different sports here, Tim. To uh, be fair, and, all, to... and also let me let me say real quick. Look, okay, let's not. Nobody wants to hear this, um, but you know, look, I do think there is something to be said for a team having ten days to prepare against a team that has four days to prepare. And look, I understand Sanford's at the FCS level, and look, and I don't think anybody is under the illusion that Florida State should be trailing in the fourth quarter to an FCS team. However, I mean, I think it would also be naive to suggest that that didn't have an impact at all. You might say it had too much of an impact. Uh, but I think that's a good team and a good coach uh, and a good veteran quarterback. And if you give them that much time uh, to prepare and then give Florida State essentially no time to prepare, uh, you know, things like that can happen, especially in the first half. I am reserving portions of our final segment so that I can lobby once again to do away with these five-day breaks between games. You'll have to stay tuned for that, Tim. Now, oh, we'll, boy. Yeah, Keith, you can just leave at that point. Uh. Now let's move to other sports, Tim. The soccer team, oh, by the way, speaking of good defense, they've given up one goal in seven games now, seven matches. So I think that that qualifies as good defense, and they're up to number two in the country. I don't know if you've had a chance to see them play yet, given you've been uh, so busy following Coach Taggart's team, but uh, general thoughts on where Mark Krikorian's bunch is right now? Uh, you know, I haven't been able to see them as much as I would like, but, you know, I, I do keep tabs over there, and uh, the sports information director, Scott Moriak, is a good buddy of mine, and, and so we talk about them pretty frequently. And, yeah, man, I mean, look, it's, the thing is, you know, Florida State pretty much for the last decade has, has entered or been in seasons uh, expecting to contend for a national championship, so this is nothing new. Uh, but whereas I think, you know, the last couple of years, um, particularly the year where, where they ended up losing in the second round of the tournament to Utah, you could kind of look and say, you know, they have all this, this talent, but maybe they're not uh, performing up to the level of, of their potential and performing up to the level of their expectation. Uh, well, now, three, four years later, you know, all those those young stars and, you know, folks like you know, Dana Cassianos, obviously, but also people like Megan Connolly and, and some of the other players on the team, they're, they're older, uh, they're wiser, they're more mature. They had those experiences um, that they had, the, the disappointments that they had from a few years back, um, where they, you know, I think they were able to learn that, that, that uh, you know, that, that talent uh, and, uh, and sort of international superstardom wasn't necessarily going to translate, at least not automatically, to success in college soccer. Uh, you, you have those experiences, and now you've got a team that's no less talented and has no less ability, uh, but also has that maturity that comes along with those last few years. And, and man, they look really, really, really good. I mean, they've had some fantastic teams and some fantastic players, but I mean, they're not just beating teams. I mean, they're they're dominating. I mean, that game against UCLA. I mean, that's a, that's a top five team and a, a traditional soccer power. It's not like they're a flash of the pan. UCLA is always good, uh, and you were able to, I mean, essentially run them off the field. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, the contending for national titles is, is nothing new for Florida State, and obviously a big game this weekend uh, with North Carolina, another traditional soccer power. But, uh, I mean, I think, you know, what you're seeing is, I mean, this is a team that, uh, I mean, they're going to be in it through, through uh, in, in the race through the thick of it. And, and, I mean, I think I'm sure they're all expecting to go to the College Cup and, and contend for a national title. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what else you can say. I mean, that's just the, the kind of the standard that they've set. And, you know, so far, I think, I mean, based on history, I think they're exceeding it. Yeah, they're off to a great start. By the way, uh, mark your calendar, 7 o'clock Friday night. They host North Carolina, traditional power. That'll be a great match, great crowd there. The volleyball team is entertaining. Uh, well, I don't know if they're entertaining. I know they're playing Florida tonight. Is that here or Gainesville? I don't actually That's know. That's here, buddy. All right, so they are entertaining. So 7 o'clock, Tully Jim, Knowles and Gators, uh, get your garnet and gold on and get out there. Tim, we got to grade you from rapid fire last week. So uh, are you sitting down? Yeah, the tone in your voice suggests this isn't going to go so hot for me. Well, to be fair, you know, when you reach the level Keith and I have reached, we have uh, graduate assistants and TAs that do the grading, so I don't even know how it, it, it fared. So this will be my first go-to. Let's take a listen. We'll all hear it together. Little known fact that FSU did win something the other night. They won the coin toss. So will they win the coin toss this week against Sanford, yes or no? Everybody gets a streak. You got it. Touchdowns this week for Florida State. Now, this will sound high, but I'm going over under five and a half. First touchdown will be scored by a running back, wide receiver, or other. Running back. Punt return yards. Bear in mind where we were. Over, under, one half yard. That's over. 
Over under 70,000 for the crowd. For FSU, will there be a 100-yard rusher? Yes. Will there be two 100-yard rushers? No. Will there be a 100-yard receiver? Yes. Most importantly, will FSU win? Yes. Look well, at that. Tim, Tim, your performance is much like Florida State's. All told, I'd say that was pretty good. It's, it's five uh, and four. Five and four, barely squeaked by. Way to go. Congratulations. I'll tell you, hey, I was pretty glad the hook got me on the touchdown. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right, let's get. That's why you set the line. Uh, that's, hey. You know, plead your case to Vegas. They don't. They they have no time for sob stories. Just they'll just take your cash. All right, here we go. You ready for this week? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, we'll start uh, with a, a familiar question. Will FSU have a 100 yard rusher this week? Yes. Total points for FSU plus or minus 40 and a half. Minus. Total points in the game plus or minus 80 and a half. Minus. By the way, I did. I don't even know what the over under is on this. I and, and by the way, I don't want to. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to do these answers to suggest that I don't think it's going to be a fairly high scoring game, or the Florida State's not going to score. I think it'll be close to both of those numbers. If FSU has an opportunity to kick a forty-two yard field goal, will they kick it or go for it? It depends. What's the down and distance? Fourth and four. Ooh, that's a good one. I think they're going to kick it indoors. Go for it. Will the kicker make it? Yeah. There we go. Okay. Uh, I mean, well, let's, let's talk about that real quick. Man, he's going to get it together. He's a good kicker. He's shown it time and again. I don't know what the situation is necessarily there. And, you know, Willie Taggart after the game seemed pretty frustrated, uh, you know, just haven't answered that question. Uh, but, I mean, Ricky's a veteran guy. He's made big kicks. He's going to be all right. Number of offensive line combinations FSU will use in the game over under three and a half. Under, I hope. Number of defensive injuries incurred or sustained by Syracuse defenders while FSU is on offense over under three and a half. I say under, and, and also I'm pretty interested in that. You know, with a, with a team that runs a similar type of offense that has dealt with that, I mean, are they, you know, is it like an honor code system with them? You know, we won't do it if you won't do it kind of thing. I'm curious to see how that works out. That leads to my next question. Number of FSU injuries sustained by <laughs> defenders when Syracuse is on offense over under three and a half. I'm going under. All right, and here's the important stuff. <clears throat> Will the radio crew dine at Dinosaur Barbecue in Syracuse? Yes or no? That's the easiest one of the day. Keith Jones will have his arm twisted to attend the Kid Rock concert that takes place Friday night at Syracuse. Yes or no? What? There's a Kid Rock concert? Yes. So At the, at the Dome? I don't think it's at the Dome. I think it's at an amphitheater. Oh, my gosh. Who's playing with him? I, that I don't know. Gotcha. So did Keith say no to Dinosaur Barbecue? Uh, Keith will go to Dinosaur Barbecue. There's food involved. The question for okay. you is, will Keith go to Kid Rock, yes or no? I don't think so. Well, maybe. I can see <laughs> Keith being a Kid Rock guy. It's a yes-no question, Mr. Linnefelt. Well, you, you maybe ask the guy sitting next to you. He would know better <laughs> than me. Uh, Keith, what's up? Keith, do you like Kid Rock? No. Then no, he's not going. I like the one song that parrots the Leonard Skinner song, but other than that, I'm out. Well, that's what I was thinking when I was kind of wishy-washy. I said, I'll bet he likes that song. Will the air conditioning be on in the Carrier Dome? Do they have air conditioning? No. <laughs> that's one of the great ironies in, in, in uh, America. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, the Carrier for, Dome doesn't have air conditioning. For the record, we set this up in the first segment, and I said that you would be astute enough to know the proper answer, and you did get that one right. Oh, thank you. Just so, you continue, next week. just so you continue to get it right, know that as part of the expansion they're doing to the Carrier Dome, in four years there will be air conditioning in the Carrier Dome. So four well, years well, from now when I ask you that question, when we're when we're ten and zero and we're rolling up to Syracuse and it's Veterans Day weekend or thereabouts, it's going to be chilly. So actually, the air conditioner won't be on then either because it'll be like twelve degrees outside. Tim, we appreciate it. You got to guess our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefeld. Keith, he he cracked you up today, didn't he? Uh, he did. That, uh, and and that's the one thing, Tim. I I have perceived. I've had some of our listeners tell us that sometimes he comes across as a writer. You know, you know, he's he's maybe a little monotone. He's a very good writer. Uh, we've all agreed to that. But you know, traditionally and stereotypically, oh, no, writers. No, you know, th- this is the ESPN model. We're making yeah. the writers go well, three dimensional here. That, they're that, they're on that's electronic, kind of my point. digital. That's I mean, kind of my point. We know how 
humorous Tim is because we we get the opportunity to hang with him a little bit socially, and and to see him come across that way when we have the opportunity to talk to him on the radio, just it just I just chuckle. Have you noticed that while ESPN has taken writers and made them TV personalities, they haven't taken many TV personalities and made them writers. That is a very true statement. We will talk to a broadcast personality who knows a lot about Willie Taggart because uh, he was the voice of uh, one of the schools that Taggart used to be at. So we'll fill in the blanks on that when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we continue. Keith, we're going to call this segment Hashtag Perspective, which is something we don't have in today's social media society, certainly not when it comes to college athletics. We open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline once again. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to Jim Lauk, who is the longtime voice of the University of South Florida Bulls. He's in his 22nd year calling USF football. Tack on another 15 years for who? 36 total. It's, it's, it's been a long run. Jim, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Well, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, I joke about the perspective, but in reality, I'm not joking because we're just two games in, and already people are asking questions about Coach Taggart and the Gulf Coast offense and all this, and I thought... You spent a few years with him when he was at the University of South Florida, so let's talk to a guy who knows. Uh, first of all, I, you know, just just paint a picture first for those who maybe uh, listen to this program and aren't in the Bay Area or, or don't follow USF that closely. Uh, you know, he had a pretty good run there after he adjusted the offense, but how, you know, how was he received there? How would you characterize the, the Taggart era when he was at USF? Well, he was a popular guy, no doubt about it, because he really turned this program around in all candor. He didn't uh, uh, inherit a really good situation when he came in in 2013. The team had gone 3-9. and nine. They were 2-12 and 12 in their last 14 conference games, uh, and it was a total rebuild, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, his first year was 2-10, and 10. second year was 4-8, and eight. and then the third year things really started to turn around, and he uh, you know, laid the groundwork for a team now uh, at the end of his time here and through Coach Charlie Strong's time has gone 30-6 and six in their last 36 games. So he, uh, he did a great job here. You mentioned the third year, and that's when the offensive changes happened. And you you correct me where I'm wrong. I, I, I believe that might have been installed going into the season, but it still wasn't humming like it needed to be a few games in. And I'm talking about uh, going tempo and the, the evolution or the birth of the Gulf Coast offense. Yeah, they were 1-3 and three to start 2015. They had lost uh, to Florida State and then Maryland and Memphis in their prior three games. They were playing Syracuse at home. And they got off to a good start. They were up 14-3, to and they had the ball about midfield or so. And they ran a play where they pitched to a running back who pitched to a wide receiver who pitched back to the quarterback, threw the ball downfield for a touchdown. And that was something we hadn't seen under Coach Taggart, nothing even remotely like that. Uh, and it was it was the sign that, you know, things were changing and he had made adjustments, going to take advantage of USF speed and athleticism. And that was the play, that was the game that most Bulls fans look back to as the turning point. They went from one and three to eight and four that year, made it to a bowl game, finished eight and five, and then won 11 ball games the next year with uh, pretty much the same team. So that was the turning point. Jim KJ here. We've got some of our fans that have uh, crawled all the way to the edge of the cliff and they are looking over <laughs> it and they're thinking about jumping off of it. Through two games, we haven't seen anything that, rem- that reminds us of a hurry up and a smooth, rhythmic type of offense. Uh, uh, what, what, what's your advice to those folks that uh, need to have a little more patience for Coach Taggart as this offense unwinds itself here at Florida State? 
Well, it's difficult. You know, we all know that uh, it is hard to find patients like that. Uh, I saw the same thing with the USF fan base, but it, it takes a new coach some time. He's got to got to make it happen with with players that he didn't bring in um it's two games i mean you know we know that uh things are going to be fine uh, willie taggart is a tremendous coach and he's also surrounded himself with a really good staff of assistants really good administrative people i know because a lot of them were at usf during his uh, during his time here he's going to win um you know and it just sometimes it takes some time it took a long time at usf it took about two and a half seasons i can't imagine it taking that long there speaking of taking that long obviously uh if you've seen any of florida state's game by chance uh fsu struggling on the offensive line uh is that something that the west coast offense the taggart offense can help an offensive line that may not be quite as talented as it needs to be or is there some uh nuances to to that offense that does make it difficult for these uh, ols to to get their job assignments down Probably a little bit of both. I mean, you know, you've got to react quickly. You've got to be in great shape. They want to run so many plays every game that uh, you got to be up and ready to go. But at the same time, you know, they create some havoc by moving that fast. And in the time at USF, had a terrific quarterback in Quinton Flowers, had a running back in Marlon Mack, who's in the NFL now with Indianapolis. He had speed at every position and that really kind of made it fly um gulf coast offense in my mind is pretty well proven i mean you can you can see just the havoc it created uh in the american athletic conference they won 11 and 2 in 2016 coach strong took over last year they went 10 and 2 with with a lot of the same philosophies so it's going to take a little while but i think the linemen can adjust and, and once he gets it rolling it's going to be rolling for a while one of the attributes that's been pointed out about coach taggart is that he plays to his players' strengths. And so I'm curious at the quarterback position because Quentin Flowers was such a good runner and maybe not as adept as a passer. Uh, the quarterback ran the ball a lot. But meanwhile, at Oregon last year, when he had his first-string quarterback, they tended to throw a little bit more. Is that is that a fair or an accurate characterization to say that he's going to go according to what the strengths are of his quarterback there? And, and do you think he has a preference whether the quarterback runs or throws better? Uh, if I had to say, I don't think he has a preference, but yes, I think he will play to the strength. Um, that was one of the big adjustments here. You know, when Quentin Flowers first started off, they were trying to, to kind of make him a pocket passer. And when they opened up the reins on him and allowed the run-pass options and allowed him to get outside and, and call some designed runs, that's when everything changes and it just opened up the whole field for the whole offense so i i think he's gonna to look at his personnel and and go with what's going to work best with what he's got jim i grew, I grew up uh playing for coach bowden and of course he was here for 34 years he left particularly on the defensive side of the ball he left his defensive coordinator alone uh, mickey andrews was basically free to do what he wants to do what's your perception of how involved on the defensive side that coach Taggart taggart chooses to get in his system I always thought he was pretty well involved uh, with every facet of the game, you know, and talking with him and, and doing the the pregame interviews and doing the, the weekly radio show and everything. Boy, he had a handle on everything that was going on. So um, I, I think he trusts his assistant, certainly, but at the same time, I, I think he's pretty involved. He was He was very knowledgeable on personnel in all facets of the game here at USF. It's interesting because, uh, you know, we read a lot and I've gotten to know him a little bit, but until things unfold, you don't necessarily know how it's going to go. One of the questions that's been talked about, and really this has been in light of Jimbo Fisher being really conservative and, and rarely ever going forward on fourth down, is that Taggart would be more aggressive and just about anybody would be more aggressive than what Jimbo was. But, you know, where is he on that? Is he is he willing to roll the dice? We haven't had these opportunities per se. The fourth downs have been fourth and long, not fourth and three or four per se. Is he pretty aggressive in that realm? Or, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, when you you know, I think when he gets that comfort level, definitely so. I can definitely remember some fourth down plays that were that were pretty adventurous here, but more often than not, they worked. They had a pretty good percentage of converting fourth down. So I think when his comfort level increases is when you will see more of that. But you know, the best thing I can that I can say is when he got it rolling, it was a tremendously fun offense to watch. You just didn't know what was coming next, and the fans loved it. And, of course, as broadcasters, we loved it, too, because we had so many great plays to call. Yeah, exactly right. You know, one more, and we'll let you go, Jim. I'm thinking about this. And, again, this is this is two games in, so we don't have a big enough sample size to really know. He's rotated a lot of personnel in and out, particularly at the receiver position. Is that what he's want to do, or does he end up settling on, these are the three or four guys that I'm going to trot out there once he determines who they are? Well, I can only speak to USF, of course, but in the time there, he, you know, he went through that as well, especially when he inherited the team. I think it took a while to figure out exactly what he had and, and what he needed and which areas needed to be uh, areas of emphasis and recruiting. But yeah, once he got people in place, you know, we knew who was doing what every game. He was very good at holding players accountable, making sure they understood their assignments. And uh, and I think that was one of his strengths when he was here. Jim Lauk, the longtime play-by-play voice of the USF Bulls, associate athletic director at USF as well. And Keith and I, as, as I mentioned uh, before we got on the air, Jim, we're, we're jealous that you're going to be at Soldier Field this weekend. Good luck to the Bulls as you take on Illinois. Thanks. I've never been there. Looking forward to it. And uh, Bulls off to a good start this year, so hopefully they can keep it going. Yeah, stop beating up on the ACC, would you? Yeah, and you picked a good time <laughs> to travel to Chicago. Do not do not recommend it in November when we're going to be there against Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, safe travels, and thanks for the perspective. All right, thanks, guys. Jim Lauk, the voice of the uh, USF Bulls. We'll uh, step aside, come back, and react to his comments when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. One segment to go, about 10 minutes to go. Tom and Keith back with you. Uh, Good program. Hope you've uh, enjoyed it. Remind you that we come your way each and every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And uh, also we're available on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods you can uh hold on i have a question from mr well, you Jones. may continue then you can call well just head to espn tallahassee.com and under the audio vault drop down menu you can uh, simply click front row Knowles. you can also subscribe via itunes go ahead sir first look i was going to get there okay but now you've sure. now it's just completely discombobulated during football season we also do front row Knowles first look which comes your way on Sundays at 8 a.m. and then again on Monday evenings, and that'll fill up in your podcast feed as well, Monday evenings at 6. When we call it first look, it literally is the press conference is over. It's 3 in the morning, whatever time it is, and we sit down and talk about it having not looked at game tape. So it truly is a first look. Did I get it now? You did. Very well done. Okay. Thanks to Jim Lauk from USF for joining us, the uh, longtime voice of the USF Bulls. He was there, uh, as he detailed, as the Gulf Coast offense literally was born. Had very good things to say about Willie Taggart, not surprisingly, given the turnaround that USF experienced during his tenure there. Observation. Florida State faithful could look to the 92 Georgia Tech game, fourth quarter, when Coach Bowden took the wheels off the Charlie Ward offense. And that is a pivotal game when success followed after that. So a similar type of thing, what, 20-something years later maybe. We just had the anniversary of that game. I think I saw somebody tweeting about that. You know, I watched that Georgia Tech game in Gainesville. My, my condolences. Myself, our buddy Craig Rothberg. Right. Brian Zwilinski, who was, uh, I think he still works for ABC as a, as a cameraman, but he was at Seminole Productions too. And we were working whoever Florida played 
that day as part of the Jefferson Pilot Stats crew or whatever because we were starving, and if they were going to give us 50 bucks, we were willing to go to Gainesville the, and take the, the 50 we, bucks. We need to have a show and talk about all of the we do. miscellaneous Here's jobs the, we've had the, in the, the broadcasting. What I'm really driving at here is that so we were it was after the game, and we were watching that in a Gainesville restaurant or sports bar where 912 people were wearing orange and blue, and three of us were watching the FSU game. And as that Georgia Tech game unfolded, you can imagine what the 912 people were doing and who they were making fun of. The first three quarters, you are correct. Yes, and then you can imagine that we celebrated and probably counted the numbers and decided we should quickly exit said bar after that game in the birth of the fast In a very low-keyed way. Which is what happened. Okay, so... So takeaways from Jim. You know, I I, I think it's, it's takeaways that should always be in place two games into a season or into a tenure. Uh, I mean, the last guy was here as head, you know, for 10 years. Eight years as head coach. Eight years as head coach. I guess uh, 11 11 total. 11 years overall. Um, I think, and you and I talked about this off the air, we need to go back and or just stare in the mirror and say, this program is not in as good a shape as we thought it was going into this year. Now, you look at the talent and SB Nation does this every year they count up four and five stars and they tell you which schools have enough four and five stars to win a national title and Florida State's on that list I would point out that the four and five stars are not evenly dispersed enough i.e. there's not enough along the offensive line and linebacker position so there's some holes but beyond that and and Taggart talked about this week on his show and I know to the to the media in general the mentality is not where it needs to be and it's not because they don't practice physically it's not because they listen to music or have fun there is not the killer instinct, I'll call it a killer instinct, he didn't, there, that needs to be there that when the coin is tossed and you get out there for the opening kickoff, you're going out there to exert your dominance against whichever guy you're lined up against. And whether or not that is, uh, well, it is mental because they're better athletes, certainly, than Samford. That's where Florida State needs to get better, and it's not in as good a shape. It's not a flip of a switch, which I think many of us incorrectly thought you could come in, flip a switch, boom, everything's fixed. And, 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 and to be fair, it is a flip of a switch, but it's a flip of the switch for the player, not the coaches. The coaching staff can turn that, that switch on real quickly. It's the players that have difficulty turning. There might that be a little on. dimmer slide on the well, side. That's and exactly, it takes a little. That's while the other to, thing I'm yeah. going to. They don't know what they don't know. They yeah. don't know what they can do, and and that goes back to the age old thing: lessons learned versus lessons experienced. And and it's a process to to borrow Jimbo's phrase in a different vein. It takes a while, and uh, I'm sitting there listening to Jim talk about two and a half years in the Syracuse games. It occurs and USF takes it to the next level. Ours needs to obviously be less than two and a half years and realistically can be because we weren't as far and we are not as far down as USF was when Willie took over as the head coach. We're a little bit better than that or maybe a great deal better than that, but still and yet we're not where we thought we were, myself included. To be fair or accurate, the two and a half years was not – how long the install of the Gulf Coast offense took. He changed mid-course, and really it was a half-season of installing fair, the Gulf Coast fair, offense. Fair point, fair and point. And getting, getting it to where it goes. But, but nevertheless, I, I, would, I would agree with you on our assessment. Um, I got one more thought about these five-day turnarounds, but I do want to uh, remind everybody that uh, you should go to ctf.nu, our good friends at uh, Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Take care of all your power tool needs, whether it's hand tools, chain hoists, cutting tools, laser levels, safety equipment. You name it, they got to go see Ron, right? I brought out my little uh, uh, drill kit over the weekend, Tommy, that uh, Ron personally selected for me about a year, year and a half ago. And I had the choice of two drills. I could go with the drill over here or the drill over there. And So my toughest decision was not that can I get the job done. It was which one of my tools do I use to do it. I had two. And option three was pick up the phone and call somebody, right? If it was never, <laughs> if it's a do-it-yourself project, go see Ron and his staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. They're at uh, eleven ten Stuckey Avenue, thirty-two sixty-nine Crawfordville Highway. We appreciate their longtime support of the program. Five-day turnaround. Five-day turnaround. Okay, so I, I, uh, it wasn't a tweet storm. You don't even know what that is, but it was, uh, it was like a tweet rain shower the other night, which means I tweeted a few things in a row. Um, Florida State has been asked to carry the ACC television window 
flag for this Monday night game. They have played in more Monday night games than anybody, period. Uh, if the Monday night window has been the ACC's for 12 years, FSU's played in six or seven of the games. And I don't know what the exact math is. It's 50%, though. Okay, so a few things here. Number one, that window's not going away, and the ACC's going to keep it. And it is a good window to be in. Number two, it is not a good home game scenario because it's very tough to draw fans there. That's why the Virginia Tech game wasn't sold out because people have to go to work the next day. Kids have school. Number three, one school should not be asked to carry more than its share as Florida State has been asked to do, whether it was Thursday night games, Friday night games, Monday night games. Disagree. When you look at the way, and you can weigh in a minute, the money's going to get distributed evenly across the board in terms of the television revenue. And I'm not a proponent of saying let's change that because guess what? Years like last year when FSU wasn't very good, they'd get less. So I'm I'm on board with with an equal revenue split. The biggest point I'm making is that the ACC, because they own that window, and every year there's going to be at least one and generally two of their league schools that are going to have to turn around on five days to play another game, the ACC should be lobbying the NCAA for an exemption the same way you get an exemption if you play at Hawaii during the year you can start your season a week earlier. So we're talking about an exemption for two more teams that play every Monday night to let them start their season a week earlier, which means FSU could have played Samford August 20-whatever the Saturday was, then played Virginia Tech, and then had a week off. Go ahead. I rest my case. No issue with that. I think the better solution, although that would work, the better solution is what we've talked about, where you make the season a week longer for everyone. Okay. That's going to take a little more time. The exemption will be a little easier. I do disagree with you. I think Florida State needs to take advantage of playing on Monday night every opportunity they get, home, away, or otherwise. And I go back to how this program was built, not necessarily because Coach Bowden scheduled all those away games, but simply because we played all of those away games and ended up being victorious. I don't ever want I don't ever want to give up the position where I'm one of the marquee players in the ACC hierarchy, and I don't mind playing on Monday nights every time they ask me to. We can have a longer discussion at another time about that because the difference to me is that FSU was making a name for itself then. Now they have a name and don't necessarily need to do it. But that said, in light of the storm barreling towards North Carolina and the fact that we've gone several years in a row with games being rescheduled because of storms, now national college football media just last night is saying the NCAA needs to build in another off week so there's more flexibility to reschedule these games. So what I just lobbied for may not matter because teams UCF is missing a game for the second straight year. Some of these games won't get made up. It may happen, and we may see week zero – is what it's been called this year, really become week one. And everybody can get the patsy out of the way. You can play a big dog over Labor Day weekend. It's a win-win for everybody. Two things that we are going to take credit on for Front Row Knowles. Number one, when that extra week gets built into the season, that was our original idea. And when we start playing spring games against an opponent on a home-and-home basis – We're going to take credit for that idea, too, when it happens. And we'll take credit for lots more that we had nothing to do with (laughs) if it serves our cause. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody.